You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Anushri Sukumar, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear from WICB news correspondent Caroline Grass to learn more about the risk of flooding in the city of Ithaca, and correspondent Blake Matthews tells us about a drainage issue in the terraces buildings on Ithaca College's campus. But first, we have Sarah Payne and George Christopher with Community Beat, and Liam McDermott with this week's Politics Beat. For the month of February, Handwork Gallery is highlighting and showcasing the work by local artists Kedazai Chitwe, or Q Kedazai from the Eastern Highlands of Zimbabwe. The art pieces come in many different forms and themes. His artwork often focuses on themes of nature and gardens that relate to his childhood and life. His collection features watercolor and acrylic paintings and miniature sculptures all created by natural recycled materials. These materials include twigs, seed pods, and driftwood, some of which Jitware foraged himself well with his dog. One can view or purchase from Jitware's vibrant nature-fueled works at the gallery at 102 West State Street in downtown Ithaca. Also, the gallery is accepting applications for window displays from BIPOC artists at handworkeac at gmail.com. The Handwork Gallery for the past two years has made a window display that are specifically made to highlight the work by BIPOC artists with many varieties and style of work, including jewelry, photography, literature, and more. Healthcare facilities in Tompkins County will still be mandated to require masks. According to the Ithaca Voice, the State Department of Health's recent announcement that healthcare facilities would no longer be required to mandate masks only applies in counties with medium or low levels of community transmission. Tompkins County remains classified as having a high level. Once the county's classification is moved down to medium or low, it will be left to the individual healthcare facilities to decide whether or not to require masking. At 5 p.m. on March 1st, Ithaca Tompkins International Airport will be hosting a town hall that is open to the public. The town hall will include a conversation with the airport's leadership team. The focus of this event is to highlight the upcoming and current changes occurring at the airport and the initiatives with the goal of increasing the customer use of the airport, exposing the truths versus the falsehoods of traveling with airlines, and informing the public how they might be able to garner more flights and airlines to the airport. Mirabito's Energy is moving forward with plans to build a gas station and convenience store along with a new Burger King location at the East Hill Plaza in the town of Ithaca. According to the Ithaca Voice, the plans will involve the demolition of an existing Mirabito's location and the return of the Burger King location which has been closed since December. Popular restaurant Viva Tacuria announced the moving of the restaurant from the corner of State and Aurora Street to across the street into a spot that used to feature Pasta Vito and Madeline. This move comes after 28 years, with their origins being in July 1995, serving as a burrito shop. Viva Taqueria will remain open on the corner until this spring. Owner Ursula Cohen Browning said of the move that, quote, moving allows us to have room to grow. And she reflects on being excited for the future. The Working Families Party has released local endorsements in the city of Ithaca. According to the Ithaca Voice, the WFP endorsed the campaigns of incumbents Jorge DiPendini and Tiffany Kumar in the 4th Ward, along with Phoebe Brown and Duxa Nguyen in the 1st and 2nd Ward, respectively. It also endorsed the primary campaign of Kayla Matos, who is running in a separate 1st Ward seat, and the mayoral campaign of 5th Ward Alderperson Robert Cantelmo. This November, all 10 seats on the Common Council will be up for re-election, with each ward electing two members, one for four years and another for two.
For Sarah Payne, I'm George Christopher. It's a first-of-its-kind vote as the New York State Senate has rejected Governor Kathy Hochul's nomination of Judge Hector LaSalle for Chief Justice of the New York Supreme Court. This comes after Senate Democrats saw Hochul's nomination as too conservative. Hochul will now have to nominate a new candidate for the position. Community leaders in Tompkins County voiced their support for an unemployment bridge program in the Finger Lakes and Southern Tier on Tuesday at a press conference. The proposed program would help to make sure that vulnerable workers in the community have access to financial assistance if they need it. Some of the groups that would be included in this new program include freelance workers, workers in domestic labor fields, undocumented immigrants, and people recently coming off incarceration. If approved, the new program is expected to impact 750,000 people across New York State and cost the state around $500 million. First Ward Alderperson Cynthia Brock has announced that she will run for a fifth term on the Common Council. This comes as the end of the year will mark her serving 12 years on the Common Council, making her the most senior member of the Council. Brock will be challenged by Kayla Maitos, who currently serves as the Deputy Director of the Southside Community Center. For Politics Beat, I'm Liam McDermott. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Anushree Sukumaran. Last year, Ithaca got its first look at new flood maps from FEMA. It showed a harsh picture with large segments of the city at risk for flooding from the many creeks that weave their way through its streets. WICB news correspondent Caroline Grass set out to learn more. Situated at the bottom of Cayuga Lake, Ithaca is home to thousands of people, and thousands more flock to visit every year and see the city's many gorges and the Finger Lakes region. But the four main tributaries to the lake that flow through Ithaca leave the city prone to flooding. Tompkins County is one of over 22,000 communities that have been mapped for flood risk by the Department of Homeland Security's Federal Emergency Management Agency, better known as FEMA. The county was working under outdated flood insurance rate maps from 1981 until new draft maps were created last spring by FEMA. These new draft maps show many new areas in Ithaca that would need to buy flood insurance due to their increased flood risk. I spoke with Ithaca College's Director of Energy Management and Sustainability, Scott Doyle, about the maps and flood risk for Ithaca. Doyle was an associate planner for the Tompkins County Department of Sustainability for the last 15 years prior to his position at Ithaca College. I work with all of the municipalities in the county to develop plans to reduce risks from different hazard events. And those things were obviously growing and we put everything through a lens of the changing climate to think about how these different hazards were changing with the climate changing. FEMA's flood mapping program has come under scrutiny for not keeping maps up to date. In 2017, the Department of Homeland Security's Office of the Inspector General reported that FEMA was not able to give the public reliable data regarding their true flood vulnerability. In 2017, almost two-thirds of the flood maps had not been updated in the required five-year window, and many communities like Ithaca had not had updates in 30 years or more. Doyle talked about how new maps were needed for the area to reflect changes in topography, development, land use, and population. These older maps were seriously outdated and based on old information that really gives us an unfair look at risk in our community. Um, It's been kind of an inaccurate assessment of risk. So this update, which is happening around the whole country very slowly, obviously takes a lot of effort to do. So this modernization process of this update of the flood insurance rate maps came out some draft uh, pieces that were reviewed by the local government 
and uh, feedback was provided back to FEMA and they, they kind of refined them a little bit further. And from what I understand now is those maps are coming back out to the you know, local government review and the process for kind of connecting with the public is framing right now. In addition to population and land use changes, many places around the world are facing increasing rain events due to climate change. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, the Northeast region is expected to see increased average temperatures, precipitation, and more frequent and intense storms. According to EPA data, the region saw a 71% increase in the amount of precipitation falling during heavy rain events from 1958 to 2012. I mean, what's been very clear is based on any forecasting data that's been gathered is the Northeast as a whole has these you know heavier precipitation events for a longer period of time. And, and we're seeing a lot of those, as I mentioned earlier, in these, a lot of these kind of more micro events that are really intense over a short period of time. But as you know, this the winter reveals too, is a lot of it, yeah, it's warmer. And so we're getting more rain as opposed to kind of a snow that detains water a little bit more. The increased precipitation is is a real piece that, you know, we need to plan for from our you know, floodplain regions and know that's increasingly likely, but also kind of how we build everything else too, to think through like, how can this, you know, how can this withstand this added precipitations and building things accordingly to be able to deal with that. Having adequate buffers to streams or thinking where we can detain water as appropriate and certainly conserving upland properties in a way that, you know, helps to detain water and have other benefits as well. So it's kind of a really connected, important piece to think through what what you can build, but also what you can preserve to help kind of enhance um, how all these systems work together. According to the 2021 update of the Tompkins County Hazard Mitigation Plan, inland stormwater, ice jam, and lakeshore flooding, in addition to landslides associated with flooding, and dam and levee failure are the main flood types of concern for the county. The mitigation plan document looked at historic flooding events and reported that according to multiple databases, including the NOAA National Centers for Environmental Information Storm Database, Tompkins County had been impacted by 55 flood events from 1954 to June 2020. Doyle talked about what he remembers about flooding from the time he spent in Ithaca for college and when he moved back to the area. Well, I went to IC back, you know, 25 years ago, and we used to uh, come down here as a family. I grew up in Rochester. Actually, I was born in Elmira, which is talk about flooding history. That that community has been changed dramatically based on uh, major flooding. But then I can I moved back to the area and I've been back in the area for closer close to twenty years now. So I do have some history here, but it doesn't run doesn't run too deep. I think you know what I've noticed over the years. Certainly, one of the interesting things in working on this topic is talking with landowners and uh, elected officials around the county and yet talking about here, like, hey, you remember that, you know, storm from, you know, 77 or whatever. And some people remember pieces, other people will say, oh, it's never, we've never had an issue in this area. But what's interesting is looking back, like at the data and also looking back, like at the old Ithaca Journal articles from like the 30s, well, there was some, like 1935 was a major uh, flooding event here and had some major, there's significant built infrastructure kind of as a result of that. And also in the 80s, there was some big stuff too that kind of fundamentally changed the way things were designed around here. 
I think the thing that I remember most from my time here is back, boy, it's at least uh, about 10 years now, was an ice jam issue in Cascadilla Creek where, you know, the ice built up and then there was a big rain that then forced the water up. And so water was rising throughout that creek and throughout the surrounding kind of neighborhood. And I think that people are really on nerve at that time. FEMA determines flood risk by looking at a chance a property has of being flooded in a given year. Buildings in AE zones will be required to buy flood insurance under the program. The AE risk seen on maps equates to a 1 in 100 year flood hazard risk, meaning once a century it can be expected that the property floods. But Doyle explained a more accurate way to understand the risk, because a 100 year flood could happen more than once in a century. A is the areas that uh, has higher risk, but then the AE is the one that's basically the one that you commonly have for free used to always be referred to as the 100 year floodplain, but it really is much more accurate in saying it's a the 1% floodplain. So in any given year, there's a 1% chance that the flooding is going to occur there. It's not like, oh, it happened, you know, it hasn't happened in 100 years. It's not going to happen there. I think that's misleading. So the AE is the regulated zone. So yeah, properties that are fall within there are required. If you have a mortgage, you have to carry um, flood insurance in those properties. According to the third National Climate Assessment released in 2014, the Northeast region populations in the 1 in 100 year coastal flood zone will see more frequent flooding and areas that have previously fallen outside of the zone will see themselves incorporated into the zone, which is evident for Ithaca in the draft maps released last spring. Southwest Ithaca, portions of Southside and the downtown, and parts of Fall Creek and Northside now lie in AE flood zones. While areas close to the lake, inlet, and other waterways in the area are seeing the largest risk for flooding, mitigation efforts can be taken by the city, communities, and individuals. According to the county's mitigation plan, one type is local plans and regulations which can influence how land is used and developed. To help create a more flood-resilient area, green and gray infrastructure can also be implemented. Gray or built infrastructure projects include creating or restoring flood walls, retaining walls, detention and retention structures, and culverts. One of the big things that happened in the city of Ithaca in particular was the building of the flood control channel, which is actually where IC crew and Cornell crew have the race course in practice and uh, certainly logged uh, a few thousand miles on that inlet, but that section helps to control a lot of the inlet waters for that kind of a region around what's effectively kind of the west side of the city. I mean, that whole area was, you know, historically very swampy region. It was an area that kind of got wet on occasion, that whole fairgrounds area and everything. And, and that's something that Putting that kind of, in essence, flood control channel helped to control a lot of that flood and helped get the things under control to a point. Green infrastructure focuses on environmental controls such as stream corridor restoration, sediment and erosion control, forest management, and wetland restoration and prevention. Doyle talked about what Ithaca College can do to help retain water. While the proposal to turn Butterfield Stadium into a turf field has come under intense scrutiny of its potential health and environmental risks, Doyle did mention its ability to hold and slowly drain water. Some of the great benefits we have, 500 plus acre natural lands, I mean, the really great natural infrastructure that provides to to provide multi-benefits, including detention. But also, you know, as we as we build too, thinking through things like uh, that have great drainage to be able to retain water and also 
figuring it out. I mean, the, one of the interesting, you know, new proposals related to using synthetic turf at Butterfield Stadium is that's a significant drainage system there that would be built that would be a lot better than the current system for, for drainage. So that, you know, basically retains water in big rain events and then, you know, slowly trickles that out so as not to, you know, add to further runoff. Last month, the city received $1.3 million in grant funding from the federal government for community development to help reduce flooding in the city's waterways. Michael Thorne, superintendent of public works for the city, told the Ithaca Voice that the money will allow the city to start a design process to determine what infrastructure like flood walls, barriers, and backflow prevention devices, among others, could help reduce risk in the city. While the draft maps have been reviewed, revised, and will now be in a public appeals process this spring, finalized maps are estimated to be complete by the winter of 2023 with a one-year compliance window for mortgage owners after they are finalized, so changes are still a while away. As I concluded my conversation with Doyle, one thing he mentioned was the importance of the community working together to create solutions as the potential insurance rates could be expensive for residents. The other piece that obviously is a component here that's a very real one is the affordability component. I mean, we already have a lot of unaffordable housing in the region, and if a great deal of more folks need to carry flood insurance, that that adds a significant cost to certainly a mortgage payment that is going to be is difficult. But that's probably what we need to kind of strategize, thinking through, hey, what's what can we do together to kind of help uh, mitigate this risk and you know help help support folks and what what they do if they find themselves in these areas. For WICB News, I'm Caroline Grass. About three weeks ago, residents of some terraces buildings on the campus of Ithaca College found an unwelcome surprise. Overflowing drains that coated walls and bathrooms with filthy water. WICB News correspondent Blake Matthews brings us this report. On February 2nd at Ithaca College, there was a sewer backup that left Terrace 7's first and second floor bathrooms soaked in brown water. Terrace 7 is a part of the Terrace Residential Buildings for undergraduate students. The situation had taken to a social media platform called Yik Yak, where students posted videos and comments of the first floor bathroom soaked in brown water, which smelled like feces. A Yik Yak user also claimed that the same incident had happened to Terrace 9 about an hour later, a claim that has been proven false since. I spoke to several students who shared similar stories about the experience. Brooke Wilson, an exploratory student at Ithaca College, stated that her group chat went off with comments of mold flooding through the showers. Through the group chat, she also heard of the toilets being flooded as well in multiple bathrooms on the first and second floors. About an hour later, the fire alarm had gone off, which left students confused and concerned. The residential advisors for Terra 7 had taken photos of the mold-filled and smelly water coming down into the lobby below. To this day, you can see the remains of the watermarks despite students doing their best to clean it off. I spoke to Ernie McClathy, the director for Grounds Transportation and Maintenance, about what he knew of the situation. We dispatched someone to it. They, upon investigation, found that pipes going from the upper floors down to the outside of the building were, were blocked. Had to use a snake to try to clear that out to push what was there through. 
So while that was happening, anytime someone would flush a toilet, run water, anything like that, that would go into that drain pipe would cause more of a backup and, and more more of that material to come out. So I asked McClatchy if this experience of a sewer backup happens frequently. I asked McClatchy if this experience of a sewer backup happens frequently. McClatchy stated that he believes this was not a situation resulting from improper plumbing or neglect from Ithaca College. McClatchy rather encourages students with the support from ResLife to not place anything other than toilet paper down the drains. This is not our first issue in Terrace 9 this year. I believe this is our third time with Terrace 9 this year. What we continue to find, unfortunately, and we find this in other locations, is that wipes, you know, like the single-use wipes, that on the packaging and everything, it says that they are flushable. However, we, along with Res Life, tell people, try to put that communication out when they move in, that they really are not flushable in the extent that if there's multiple people trying to do this in the same area, that they'll cause issues. We have had some circumstances like this in other locations before, sometimes for this reason, sometimes probably the intentional vandalism sort of piece of, of putting things down the toilet that definitely should not have been there and then causing this to happen. So it's not a common, common occurrence, but it does happen from time to time. So this unfortunately could occur in, in any building, uh, which, which it has. We've had this occur in the, uh, you know, in the quads before, uh, so it's, it really does come down to ensuring that the only thing that's being, you know, flushed in the toilet is, is the toilet paper aspect uh, and not even paper towels. Uh, sometimes we unfortunately see a lot of paper towel that somehow ends up in toilets and, and it's, the systems just aren't built to be able to take that. While sewer backups may continue to happen from time to time and is not limited to the terraces, but with education and support from Ithaca College, students can be hopeful that these smelly experiences can begin to occur less frequently. For Ithaca Now, I'm Blake Matthews. That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager, Connor Hibbard, and Programming Director, Harrison Kana. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director George Christopher, with assistance from News Production Director Liam McDermott, Web Coordinator Inbayani Anbarasan, and Social Media Coordinator Chess Cabrera. All of the music from our show's intro and natural comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicv.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.